was when the dean would get up and you had Acts class with them and then you rolled over into Theology 1. Theology 1 was great because you study about basic theology. And one of the very first things you do is you grab a book called The Names of God and you go through and you study the names of God and what those names reveal of the character of God. I don't know if you've sat down and thought about God and how big he is and how great he is. It would kind of, for me, it's kind of, oh, i, I got to stay close to the microphone. I feel lassoed to the... <laughs> if you were to take a look at God, and, okay, best example I can think of is a Corvette, okay? Think of a Corvette. I've seen Corvettes. I've been up beside Corvettes. I've seen pictures of Corvettes. The one thing I've never done is I've never had a ride in a Corvette. So I can describe a lot about how a Corvette looks, and I can describe a lot about what I read about Corvettes, but I can't tell you what it's like inside the car as a passenger, either driving as a passenger driving or as a driver of a Corvette. And it's one of those things that someday I'm actually going to do. I will get into a Corvette and ride around with somebody. Seems like every time I had the opportunity to have a friend that has a Corvette, and then it would snow, and he wouldn't take the car out of the garage. And I can't believe it. <laughs> but, or think of a mansion. Has anybody been to Newport and seen the mansions on the breakers? Yeah. Okay. Great big mansions. They're amazing. You walk by them, and it's astounding what you can see. But until you go inside them, you really don't have a good understanding of how much space and how high ceilings are and the, the mold, the, the, um, the moldings? That's it, the moldings, the crown moldings, all of the intricate details. You don't really know what it's like until you're able to see it up close. And that's what, that's what happens when we, when we take portions of the Bible out. We decide we like this, we don't like this. We like this, we don't like this. And we can't do that. You have to have the full gospel. So bear with me here. But if we turn to Genesis, the 22nd chapter, believe it or not, it will be worth the time. Starting at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I go with the boy over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And him, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, 
Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and placed it and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now, this is an amazing thing, and when you think about it, when Jesus... Can can people hear me well enough if I just... Thank you. I feel so much better. I don't like being lassoed to this over here. I have to move makes people nervous. That way I can go to either side and then people don't know what's going to happen. Okay. How did the disciples tell people about Christ? They'd been with him, but how did they explain it? They had to know the Old Testament. And so you can see in Acts, in the very beginning, where Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he does the same thing as he did with the folks here on the road to Emmaus. He uses Moses and the prophets to help them to understand what God has done in himself. That's what we have here. And when you look at Isaac, this is a great passage, because Isaac is a type, a foretype. Foretype? Is that the right word, Francis? Foreshadow. Foreshadow, thank you. Um, yeah, have to, he's younger, his brain works, it works real well. He just lets me borrow parts of it while I'm up here. It's a foreshadow of what's to come in Christ. And it's amazing when you stop and you take a look at it. And I hope by the end of this you're going to go, wow, they really did. Because it helps you to have an appreciation for the Word of God and His whole Word. Both Isaac and Jesus were sons of promise. God had promised Abraham. He had made a covenant with him that your descendants will be as numerous as the sands on the sea or the stars in the sky. He had promised that. We see also in Scripture that we will receive the Messiah will come. He was promised to come before He was there. Don't forget, Abraham has gone through a lot in his life. Okay, this is an amazing passage of Scripture because you see Abraham. Abraham flees to Egypt. And what do you know? He's there and he's lying about if he's married or not. Okay, God's made a covenant with Abraham and Abraham's roaming around and he has character issues. There's issues that arise in his life. 
And you see that there and in Abimelech. But now, now you see a real strong man of God. Okay? And I want to just, this is a side note. This is one of those free, those free things. It's, it's an extra. It's kind of like the breadsticks that you get at a table. You, love, you go for the steak, but the breadsticks taste good. This is one of those breadstick moments. Like that too. I'm <laughs> Darn, I must be hungry. I don't know what happened there. God isn't about testing. We tend to think it's all about hurdles. That we learn something. I have this I have this little picture of a dog that I've had since I was a kid. And it says right beside it, just when I learned all the rules to the game, you went and changed the game. Okay, Just when you figure out everything that you're supposed to do, next thing you know, somebody turns the page and it's all something else that you're now supposed to do. And you sit there and you go, Ugh. And sometimes we get that thought about the Lord, that the Lord's doing that, that He's going, okay, here's a hurdle, and He puts it out before you, and just as you start to get up and you start to climb over it, you have a new hurdle on the other side. No, this is not... Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior, okay? This isn't go from one obstacle to the next. This sort of thing, when these things come up, God is showing you how much you've grown and what He's done in your life. Because it's when those testings come that we learn what we're made of. That He gives us an opportunity and He sits and, and you're able to see. Remember footprints? Think about the footprints poem. Lord, all those tough times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. Why in the world was that? Did you abandon me? Why would you leave me during those times? And you say, no, I carried you. These tests, when God brings obstacles into our life, it's not for the sake of an obstacle. It's for the sake of helping us grow, but also to help us to have an appreciation for what God's done in our lives because you overcome things and then you look back and go, I can't believe it. I don't know how that happened. But that's an amazing thing. God really has brought me somewhere. Because you tend to get to the other side of these things and go, wow, I never could have handled that 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I never would have had the faith required to be able to step up and say, okay, God, think about where you are now. And hopefully, where you are now, you're a stronger Christian than where you were a week, a year, 10 years ago. Those things are important. And that's what God does in our lives. So, you know, we see it all the time. Don't despise the day of testing. That's why. Think about it. When I was in high school, you know, you'd go down to the gym. And, well, guys, ladies, just bear with me here because you may not do this. But guys get into a get into the gym, and next thing you know, they're over on the bench press, and it's all about who can lift what. And you definitely want to be one of the ones that can lift more than somebody else, because Lord knows, the minute you don't lift it, you're going to have a whole different experience at school. Well, not anymore, because now there's anti-bullying. But it amazed me, because I had a friend, and naturally we figured out, Okay, now some of those guys in that room are pretty big. So we started working out at my friend's house so that when we went into the gym, we were able to lift more. And it was always a cool thing when you got down along down the road and you figured out where you started at 150, but now you're benching 250. That's a significant thing, especially when my weight was 
the 150. When your weight's 150 and you're doing 250, that's quite a significant thing, but you don't get to 250 right away. Okay, we tend to get sidetracked in sermons and sidetracked in life because we go, oh my gosh, there's an obstacle. Rather than going, this is an opportunity for me to be able to see and have a measurement. We all want to have the thing on the doorway. You are here. You got a little taller, you're here. Then a little taller, you're here. Okay. And on my door, when I was growing up, I'd, had, I'd put a spot in where my grandfather was, because that was the measure that I was looking to. I wanted to be as tall as my grandfather. Okay? And I was so happy the one day, and it took years until they said that I was six, four and a half. And anybody who's looking at me, I'm not six, four and a half. But that nurse swore up and down that I was six, four and a half. And I decided I wasn't going to argue, because grandpa had been six, four. And when a, when a nurse at a hospital tells you that, and a doctor's office, Hey, that's medical. Hey, you're paying for that. So, yeah, that's important. So I called my grandfather up and went, woo! And he goes, I hate to tell you. Because by then I think he was 90. He says, I've been back, I'm down back around 6'1". <laughs> I'd actually been taller than him for a number of years and never realized it. And that's what happens in our lives, which is why looking at these passages, not only do we see Christ, you can preach Christ out of any book in the Bible. Any book in the Bible. I'm not going to today. And I know people are going, well, I wish you'd just move on on this. Isaac was a son of promise. It's an amazing thing when you know something's been promised to you. But it's even better when it's somebody that you can trust. We're good with promises, right? Oh, yeah. The favorite one. I'm going to clean up my room. Dad, don't you worry about it. I'm going to clean up my room. I'll have it all set by Saturday. Okay, I don't know what Saturday we were talking about, but that's Saturday. It just doesn't seem to exist in some worlds. And you're sitting there and you're going, but you promised. Oh, but I got distracted. I'm thankful that God doesn't get distracted. I'm thankful that you can find Jesus in Genesis. And you're able to see it. Okay. So we have a son of promise. We also have a miraculous birth. Both births, Jesus and Isaac's, were done miraculously. If you don't believe me, go down to the nursing home and walk through and see how many babies you see. You don't see babies in nursing homes because we reach a certain age... And our reproductive system's done. Sarah was old. In fact, Sarah knew old well. She wasn't just a grandmother's age. She was a great-grandmother's age. And God miraculously touched her womb, and her and Abraham had a son named Isaac, whose name means, and he laughed. Because they laughed, Abraham laughed when he was told. Abraham is told, you're going to have a son. And he laughs. Sarah's told she's going to have a son. And she laughs. But you know the really cool thing is, that was their heart's desire. That's what they wanted more than anything else. And when God did it, they did laugh with joy. 
Because God had done something that had never been done before and never done since. When he touches a wound, it was miraculous. And through Isaac, the world would change. Through Jesus, the world was made complete. It's an amazing thing when God does it. Let's see, both Isaac and Jesus were called the only begotten sons of their fathers. I don't know if you've done it or not, but I tend to like to bounce in the scriptures and, you know, you try to read. And one of the places that I end up, especially when you're trying to figure out, okay, God, can I make it? And I know nobody else has that. Nobody else ever thinks that. They don't, you know, you guys are all just massive people of faith and you go, yeah, I'm just going to do it and God's going to do it and it's going to be amazing. But I tend to have to go back to the scriptures to look and to encourage my faith. And in Hebrews 11, which is a great faith chapter, it's always a nice place to go. You bounce over there to get a little bit of encouragement and okay, okay, God, I know you can do it. And I've seen you do it. And you go down through the hall of faith and you go, okay, they saw you do it. I'm not alone in this. Hebrews 11:17 says, "By faith Abraham when God tested him offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned." Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking he did receive Isaac back from death. That's an amazing thing. His one and only son. Wait, God did the same thing. Because you remember, Jesus is at his baptism, what, Matthew, the third chapter? And the voice from heaven comes as he comes up out of the water. This is my one and only, my one and only, my one and begotten. I hate that. You try to translate from NIV English back to King James, King James English. But God declares him his only begotten son. Just like Isaac. Just like Isaac. Abraham knew and trusted in the Lord and he went, I'm going to do it. No longer am I going to be the doubter I was in Egypt or the doubter I was with Abimelech. I have seen God open up the womb of an old lady and bring forth his son, which he treasured more than anything else, because by now he's lived a hundred years and he knows how precious his son is. But when God says to him, you know, Abraham, take your son, he goes and he travels off into the wilderness and goes to the place that God had told him, willing to sacrifice a foreshadowing of what God himself is going to do with his son. His son will be brought into the earth from the womb of a virgin for us. Both Isaac and Jacob had fathers who were willing to sacrifice their sons on a hill far away. It's an amazing thing. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, when Solomon's building the temple, Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. The range of mountains where Abraham would build his altar would later become the very spot where Christ would die for the sins of the world. That's why you keep seeing throughout Genesis 22 that God says, 
on my chosen mountain. Okay? What a great foreshadow. On the very place that they're going to put the temple. And from there, you can see the hill called Golgotha, where Jesus will be sacrificed. Oh, wait, did you notice? There were two people. What did, who did Abraham take? When you read it, go back to chapter, chapter 22, first couple verses. He goes out and he takes two servants. Takes two servants. There's two guys hanging on a cross. There's a lot of stuff put together right there. All in Genesis 22. Foreshadowing. What's going to go on? It's an amazing thing that from that place that God had way back at Abraham had sat down and told him to go to that place and years later God would sacrifice his own son. I think when you end up with those coincidences and there's no such thing as a coincidence you're looking at God pointing it out and going and that's why the coolest thing you have a red line that goes all the way through Genesis to Revelation. It's sewn together with the gospel of Jesus Christ. His blood from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation is there. And you see it. And God in His infinite power and glory orchestrates things. And sometimes, unless you're studying with an atlas, you're not going to know where things are, who's there. Did you notice that Abraham has gotten to the place, if you take a look back, that he says to the two servants, you two wait here. We're going to go to the mountain. And what else did he say? Did he say, I'm going to come back? We will return. We're going to the mountain to worship, and we will return. And that is an amazing thing. Okay, now i got I got to deal with it. They traveled three days out, right? Three days? It was three days that they went out. Did you notice they traveled three days? The two servants, Abraham and Isaac. Three days they traveled. How long was Jesus in the ground? Three days. Okay? I mean, this is really cool. It's a great foreshadow. I'm thinking next week I'll do Noah with the ark. There's another great one. Okay? I've been studying this for most of the summer. I love this. I like going through men of God, taking looks at their lives. Going through the scriptures. Trying to learn what I can. For three days they traveled. Both sons come back from death. While they're traveling, Abraham is mourning. He's mourning that he's taking his son. That his son is already dead. Because God has asked for his life. And for three days he travels. And I can guarantee Isaac's sitting there going, wow, Dad's really down. Not a lot of fun on this trip. For three days. I have a strange feeling that Abraham was still praising the Lord when he went up to go and worship God. But I guarantee you that after the altar, when God provides the ram, there's a father who is ecstatic to have his son back from death. And that's just a foreshadow of what Jesus did. Okay? That's why Christians can be the happiest people on the planet. Because we were dead. Now we're back 
from life. We have eternal life. We're not just back for a little bit of time still with death to deal with. No, we're clear. We've been set free from death because of Jesus' resurrection. It's not the end for us. It is a chance and it's the changing of stations as it were. It's moving from one place to the other and receiving your full citizenship to know God in full. We are already there. We have already come back from the altar. No longer is it required for us to pay the price. The price was paid. And that's where you have it and you go, wow. And that's why we should be able to say, I don't care what happens in the week. I don't care what happens today. God's in control. He's redeemed my life. Just as He redeemed Isaac, He provided a ram there. He provided His Son to be the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And that is absolutely amazing. And I'll pull in one more for you. Both, both guys get brides. Isaac got a bride, and Jesus has a bride. We are His bride, the church of Jesus Christ is His bride. God has set it all up. He put a movie trailer right there in Genesis 22 so that you could see the parallel of what He was going to do. And the thing that really encourages me is we see, Paul said, we see in a glass dimly. We see as though it were through cracks, not quite able to see the whole picture. But one day, one day, one glorious day, we're going to know in full. No matter what it is in your life, no matter what you're facing, if you're having to take your most precious of all things, your greatest treasure, and hand it over to the Lord, have the faith of Abraham. By faith, it says in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham went. He had gotten to the place in his life where he said, no matter how big the obstacle, I have seen God provide for me. I have seen you do so many things, God. So many times it looked like doom. In Egypt, it didn't look like we were going to make it. It looked like I'd lose Sarah, but I didn't. Abimelech. It looked bad with Abimelech. And I didn't have the great faith to be able to say, God, no matter what, this is my wife and not my sister. He was still controlled by fear. If you're controlled by fear today, just know He's overcome that as well. He can take you through it. He can walk you to the other side. You don't have to worry that the river seems dark or the river seems to be flowing fast. God will carry you through the obstacles. When you go through the tunnel, the valley of the dark, you know that God will see you through it. That you're not just going into the valley to die. That may be what happens to others, but that's not what happens to you. That you go with God, and when you go with God, you walk with diplomatic immunity. No longer can the world overcome you. You overcome the world. It's not by our might, not by our power, but by His Spirit. And that's how as Christians we can walk and we can talk. We see a great preview of Christ in Isaac, but I'm thankful that I'm not stuck in Isaac, that I have Jesus and I'm not looking 
for Jesus to come. He's already come. He's been risen from the dead. And right now, currently, He prepares a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. A place for you. You have an inheritance. You have fortune that you know not of. And not that gold and the silver stuff. What did, what did Peter say? They went to the temple. Silver and gold have not I. They told the beggar. But they gave him life. They reached down with healing in their hands because Jesus was there and they're His representatives. And as I was driving up today, I was just encouraged by that. I'm not going as Chris. I'm going as a servant of the Almighty God. And that's where we go each day. Now, you either choose to go or you choose not to. What do you see on TV the minute somebody gets into trouble? Usually if you're watching a TV show and a diplomat gets into trouble, what's the very first thing to do when the police show up? Oh, I have diplomatic immunity. You know what? I am very thankful that I do have diplomatic immunity. That the curses of hell do not have stake in here. They don't have purpose in my life. Because God has chosen me. He's put His hand on me and He wants to put His hand on you and He will take you through, help you to overcome no matter what it is. Okay, this is the hardest part for me. The very hardest part is to help people to realize what they have in Christ. Who they are. What their benefit package is as we talked about in one of the Bible studies. Every once in a while I'll work on a project and I'll go... And I guarantee you that if I can find my drill, my drill goes with me. But if I can't find my drill, and I really want to get the project done, I've been known to pull out a screwdriver and go over with a drill. I put the drill up, the screw goes whoosh, right up. Screwdriver does not do that. I have not realized until recently how spoiled I was. Because it takes forever, especially if you're putting in new screws. You gotta screw it in. You're leaning on the thing, going, "Oh yeah." We do that in our daily lives. We go around. I've also been known during projects if I can't find a screwdriver and I need to take something out, I've been known to look for anything else and take that out. If it's a flathead, I will give it my best with a butter knife. I will. If I think I can get it out, or if I can tighten it, it just needs a little bit, I'll use a butter knife if I don't know where a screwdriver is. Pieces of glasswork, little pieces of steel, especially if you're out working in the bush, and you don't want to do the long walk back to wherever your stuff is, because you realize all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I brought the wrong tool. Christian and I experienced it he was helping, he set up a great obstacle course for Maria back in June for her birthday. I mean, he took and built this awesome obstacle course. But he says to me, Dad, would you help me? So we're trying to rig up a rope swing. He gets his bow out because I explained to him, sometimes when I've run wire network cable, I did an install in a church down in D.C. And it was a concrete church. And when you work in concrete and you're putting wires through, Horrible stuff. Horrible stuff. It's not like you can just drill a hole and then pull a wire through. No, no. You're working in concrete. you got to bust out a block. And I just installed a big, long sound cable from the soundboard all the way over to the 
stage. And I had to bust through up on a ladder, 40 feet up in the sky. And I've got a hammer and I'm trying to break a cinder block. The whole ladder's shaking to get that through. Well, next thing I had to do was do this install. And in steel buildings, in classrooms, they tend to have this little um, triangle grid roof girders that go through the room. Yeah, you've all seen me. There is no way I'm climbing into that. There's no way I could pass through it. And so I realized, gee, I have a mini crossbow. And so I got a mini crossbow out, and I tied a line to it, and I shot it clear across the room. It was a 40-foot install, and it went through, bang, done. It was the most awesome thing. I'd forgotten I told him the story, so we're trying to get this rope thing set up, and he comes over and he asks me, hey, do you have any, do you have any string? And I said, well, I have some twine. Yeah. In case you ever want to put up a rope swing and it's going to go a good 30 feet up in the air, don't do it with twine. Twine is the worst possible stuff to use. We sat for two hours tying rocks to it, throwing it up, trying to get it over the thing. That's also what I learned. I guess I've gotten a little older and my arm no longer reaches there. And so I'm getting the rock for him. I'm tying it up and going, here, you, you do it again. You do it again. <clears throat> Couldn't get it. Finally got a snag up in the branch and it's the most frustrating project. So two hours, we've been working on this stupid thing because I can't get it through my thick head that I should have taken a step back and got the right stuff. Two hours in, I decided, okay, that's it. This thing's never going to get done if I don't make a change. I went over to Ocean State Job Ladder. I got some nylon, nylon string. Threw it up over, doesn't snag, had it up less than 10 minutes after we got back, whole thing's all done, set up. And I turned to him and said, that's why... Sometimes when you try to do it with the wrong tool, things can take forever. In our lives, we do not tap into the power of the Holy Spirit that God has put into our lives. He has made you an overcomer. He has not made you a weakling. He has made you an overcomer. There is nothing in this world that can harm you. You have His blessing when you call on His name and say that He is your Lord and Savior. You have His blessing. You should be walking in His strength and not your own. Now I admit, it's extremely hard. And that's why sometimes we go and we use the wrong thing. We try to do it in our strength and our power. I can't tell you how many times myself in my life I've forgotten that. And then you get you get down the road and you're all frustrated and you're sitting there and I'm going, dang, I can't believe that this is going on. And I don't know why it's going like this. And you're having a little pity party and God goes, don't obey. And you get the gift slap in the back of the head going, hey, pay attention. You're not supposed to be doing it this way. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. If you're dragging, you're doing it wrong. And it's during those times, it's like the twine. And I'm oh man, why have I been doing it that way? God has given us life, and life more abundant. He has touched your life, and wherever you're at, right now, in your life, no matter what's going on, He wants to refresh your memory. He wants to bring you back to the place that I, that Abraham was. I guarantee you, with that ram, he's dancing. 
And it would have been the most exciting walk down with Isaac because Isaac, the whole time, do you notice his obedience? He allows his father to bind him because his trust is complete. He has been raised by Abraham. His trust in his father is complete and his trust in his God is complete because even Isaac has noticed and said, no matter what goes on, God has me in his hands. I don't have to fear. Even when they bind me up and they put me on the altar, I don't have to fear. And there will come days in your life when you will face obstacles and you need to be able to say, it doesn't matter how bad the situation seems. It doesn't matter how difficult it can be. You can stand. You can have your hands bound. And they can be putting you up on the altar. And you don't even have to worry because God is in control. Every step, every day, every moment, not just on Sundays, not just at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, but every day, every moment, He's there with you, desiring to have you turn it over to Him and for you to have a knowledge of how easy His yoke is and how light His burden is because it's not meant to be hard. We make it hard. The fastest way to not be able to bench press anything is to leave the guards on the bench press. Yeah, little did I know. They have little clips that sometimes on some of these things that go right over. Yeah, one of your friends is a joker, and I don't know why he's not the nicest guy. I don't ever pull pranks. One of my buddies throws a guard right over in the high school gym. Puts a card right over the top. Hey, I'm here and I'm going, I don't understand. And they're laughing. They're going, oh yeah, what happened? You can only lift, you can't even lift 100 pounds. Oh, this is a, get up, take a look at it, and that's when I notice, oh yeah, I have great friends. They put guards over the stupid thing. <clears throat> Sometimes the enemy does that to us. You sit and you know, okay, this isn't too hard. I face situations like this. I can do it. And you sit down and you go, wait a second, why isn't anything working? Sometimes we let the enemy fool us, whether it's with false theology, whether it's with thoughts, any number of things. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in heavenly places. Okay? Guys, God wants you to know, not only does He love you, he has you in his hand. He will carry the burden. Stop trying to be the energizer bunny, going and going and going without God. I put a note on my iPad yesterday during the men's Bible study for the gentleman beside me that said, let go and let God. Because sometimes that's what we have to do. Okay? Guys, your impossible situation should have a but God. It looked like I wasn't going to make it, but God. It looked like it was disaster, but God. I didn't think I could do it. It seemed impossible to me. I thought it would cost me everything, but God. Okay? Should be encouraged. Gosh, it's a tough room this morning. I've tried humor, I've tried everything. I don't know what happened. Hopefully, as we go through communion, you're going to be able to sit back and go, oh, okay, yeah, because that's what should happen. As we go to communion here in Francis, you might plan it. As we go to communion, 
make this an altar time and say, okay, God, I don't know if you're on your journey to Mount Moriah. I don't know if you're on your way down from the mountain after having seen God do great things. But I do know that wherever you are, personally, God will meet with you right now. And it's okay to turn to Him and say, okay, God, I know you love me. I may not have been living the way that I should have been. But you know what? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not based on my ability. It's based on His. And He's available. He wants that relationship with you of in the garden. He walks with me and He talks with me along life's narrow way. Not just show up to church and sit and scowl at the pastor. It's not that at all. He wants you to have life and life more abundantly. If you're not having life and life more abundantly, now's the time to say, God, I may not understand, but I want to know what life and life more abundantly is. Do that in my life. Trust me, it changes your life. Heavenly Father, as we stop and we consecrate this time to you again, Lord, I just ask that for each one here, the needs that moment with you. That, Father, you would speak to their hearts. And, Lord, I ask of the pastors that you would give them the faith to reach out to you. That, Lord, not one of us would sit and hold on to the burdens and the cares of this world. That we would place them into your hands. That, Father, not one of us would let the shame and the guilt that the enemy keeps on us to keep us from having that life and life more abundantly in you. Father, we all make mistakes. And Lord, I ask that you would help each one this morning to have the courage to turn to you, to repent of those mistakes, and to ask you to set them on a new path, a path of life in the Spirit, a path with Jesus at the center. And Father, as we celebrate and remember that which you did for us. Lord, don't, don't let it just be another communion service. But Father, let it be a supper where we truly understand how great a gift you gave us on Calvary and how great a life you gave us as your son was risen from the dead. Lord, it's with grateful hearts that we turn and prepare our hearts for communion. Amen. Father,